Scripture reading today is taken from Luke chapter 3, reading from verse 21 to 38. If you can turn with me to your Bible. It's on page 1594 if you are using the Pew Bible. Luke chapter 3, verse 21. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Now Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. He was the son, and it was thought of Joseph, the son of Heli the son of Metat, the son of Levi, the son of Melchi, the son of Jenai, the son of Joseph, the son of Mattathias, the son of Amos, the son of Nehum, the son of Islai, the son of Negai, the son of Maath, the son of Mattathias, the son of Simeon, the son of Joseph, the son of Jodah, the son of Joannan, the son of Risa, the son of Jerobabel, the son of Sheatiel, the son of Nerai, the son of Melchi, the son of Edai, the son of Kosam, the son of Elmadam, the son of Ur, the son of Joshua, the son of Eliezer, the son of Jorim, the son of Metat the son of Levi, the son of Simeon, the son of Judah, the son of Joseph, the son of Jonah, the son of Eliakim, the son of Melia, the son of Mena, the son of Metata, the son of Nathan, the son of David, the son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz, the son of Salmon, the son of Nashon, the son of Aminadab, the son of Ram. The son of Hezron, the son of Perez, the son of Judah, the son of Jacob. The son of Isaac, the son of Abraham. The son of Terah, the son of Nehor. The son of Sirach, the son of Ru. The son of Peleg, the son of Abel. The son of Shelah, the son of Cainan the son of Ephazad, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Gerard, the son of Mahalalel, the son of Kenan, the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. This is the word of the Lord. 
Good morning and blessed 2017. We truly praise God for His love and faithfulness throughout all generations and through the years. Let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our rock and gracious Redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Sixty years is a long time. Sixty years is a generational change. As a church, we have entered our 60th year of existence as a community of faith. And the question before us is whether our current and next generation of this community will be faithful for, to God's calling for us as a church. Our call as a local church then for this year is to pray and ask God for a double portion of His anointing to carry, for us to carry on the work of the gospel. It is our prayer that this 60th year may be the pivotal time where God will prepare us as a church to enter into a new season over the next decade of experiencing Him and the power of His Spirit in our lives. To help us do that, we are focusing on the Gospel of Luke and Acts to help us discover what it means to be disciples of the Spirit-filled Messiah. Now, as you know, we have started a sermon series on this and we'll be releasing a monthly discussion guide, a study guide based on each sermon topic. You can request a hard copy or soft copy of this discussion guide from the church office and we are setting up a website for us to access those discussion guides and download the sermon audios as well. Over the past two Sundays, Pastor Yin has covered the first two parts of our series where she preached on how God fulfilled His covenant promise in the coming of Christ and how God prepared His people to encounter Christ by sending John the Baptist to call for repentance. Today, we continue our series by looking at the baptism of Christ from Luke chapter 3 in a passage that was just read to us. As we saw last week, John baptized the people as a sign of their repentance, a genuine turning of their lives back to God and His ways. God wanted to make ready a people who would have their hearts prepared to receive the Messiah, Jesus Christ. In today's scripture, it is interesting to note that Jesus himself came to be baptized by John. Now, if there's anyone who did not need baptism, that person surely must be Jesus. But the baptism of Jesus stands uniquely on its own, that it was God's way of preparing his son to start his public ministry. Baptism literally means to be immersed or completely soaked in something. And the baptism of Jesus signifies his total immersion and commitment to God's will and calling for his life. It signifies that Jesus, although without sin, is willing to be identified with sinful humanity. And more specifically, to be identified with the people who have repented and ready to make room for God to work in their lives. Ultimately, the calling and will of God for Jesus, as symbolized by his baptism, is to be the sacrificial offering on the cross 
to take away the sins of the world. And you can see this in the Gospel of John in his um, narrative about surrounding the baptism of Jesus. And Jesus, by his baptism, submitted and gave himself completely to God's will and calling for his life. The passage in Luke describes a powerful scene where Jesus comes in a posture of prayer, a position of submission, dependence, and humble anticipation before God the Father in heaven. And this posture of prayer wasn't just a one-time act of Jesus. The Gospel of Luke records for us how Jesus prayed and renewed himself constantly in his Father's presence throughout his work and ministry. Prayer was the foundational practice of Jesus in being fully immersed in God's will for his life. And prayer sustained him in and through every major crisis and challenge of his mission, leading eventually to the cross. Prayer was what kept Jesus focused on his Father's will in the midst of all the demands of his time and the challenges of his work. And we read that when he submitted himself to prayer, the heavens opened and the Holy Spirit came powerfully on him like a dove. Luke is careful here to emphasize that the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus in bodily form, meaning the Spirit was something very tangible, substantial and real to Jesus. It wasn't just some imaginative reflection or wishful thinking on the part of Jesus. And as we read on through the Gospel of Luke, he makes it very clear that Jesus performed the work of the kingdom, like exercising demons and healing the sick, in and through the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was the empowering presence of God in and through the life of Jesus as he went about preaching the kingdom of God and performing the work of the gospel. Finally, God spoke from heaven saying, You are my son whom I love with you. I am well pleased. This is God the Father providing a unique endorsement and validation of Jesus as the Son of God who enjoys the love and approval of God. Now, there were many prophets and teachers in the history of Israel, but Jesus remains unique in receiving the highest endorsement and approval directly from heaven. And so the Gospels regard Jesus as being given a standing and authority from God that is unique and without any comparison. The unspoken implication is that Jesus commands our undivided obedience and devotion as the unique Son of God, and that God requires such a response from the people, not only in Israel, but from all nations. I'd like to suggest three practical responses to to today's scripture. First, be immersed in God's will. Second, be identified with Christ. And third, be prepared for the Spirit's leading. First, be immersed in God's will and calling for our life. God has a plan and purpose for each one of us here. The details of God's plan for each one of us may be unique, but it is centered upon the life of his son, Jesus Christ. That is, to believe in Jesus Christ, 
to obey His world and to serve in His kingdom. And we will see what this means as we go through the sermon series and discussion questions on the Gospel of Luke. It is only through the faithful obedience to Jesus Christ that God's plan and calling for our lives can become a reality. Now, some of us here are already Christians. Many of us here are Christians. Some may be still deciding and others could be just finding out more information. But God's invitation is still the same for all of us here to come to Him through His Son, Jesus Christ. The key to remember in all of this is that God wants all of us. He wants us completely. Not halfway, not half measures, not half commitments on our, on our part. Now, we are not made perfect overnight. But God's promise is that He will work in our lives so that we progressively grow in our relationship with Him and discover His plans and calling for our lives, even as we seek to follow Christ. And what Jesus went through at His baptism can show us the experience of being immersed in God's will and calling for our lives. Jesus was in a posture of prayer, received the Holy Spirit in power, and was affirmed by God the Father. And we may confidently say that prayer, the presence of the Holy Spirit, and communion with God the Father were the critical, crucial factors in the life and ministry of Jesus. These were the factors that enabled him to be fully immersed in God's calling for him and enabled him to be obedient to his Father's will right up to the end of his earthly journey. As we think of being disciples of the Spirit-filled Messiah, the fundamental questions we need to reflect on are the depth of our prayer life, the extent of our experience of the Holy Spirit, and the awareness of God's unfailing love and affirmation in our lives. Because if any or all three of these are lacking in our lives as Christians, it will be very difficult to persevere in God's calling and will for our lives. But the encouragement for us is that where we do lack in any of these areas, God is ever ready, ready to bring us deeper to experience Him through prayer, the presence of the Holy Spirit, <clears throat> and in His love and affirmation for us. It's not something we can earn or manufacture for ourselves. These are gifts that God provides to us through our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we grow in prayer, the experience of the Holy Spirit and being secure in the Father's love for us, we will also be increasingly immersed in God's will and calling for our lives. Many of you here will remember Reverend Bernard Yogaraj, who preached at our church before, including our Easter services during 2015. When I think of Pastor Bernard, I really think of him as a man of God, fully immersed in God's calling for him to minister to the Orang Asli indigenous community in Malaysia and in Pahang specifically. 
If you ever heard him preach or talk, you will quickly realize that the Orang Asli community is never far away from his heart and mind. And you will know that he is fully committed to the cause of, or, and welfare of the community by his long and dedicated service in Pahang. When there was a clear need to establish a student's hostel for the Orang Asli primary school kids, he and others gave themselves completely over to the work of seeing this vision materialize so that disadvantaged indigenous children have a fighting chance in their education to receive nurture and care and support. Many of these kids go over to the government hostels and schools and they are disadvantaged, marginalized, bullied, insulted from day one. And this gives them a fighting chance in their faith and in their education years. Pastor Bernard even gave up his own residence, his own men's residence on the church grounds in Rao Pahang to serve as a temporary hostel to, hostel to, to um, host the current batch of children. When you are immersed in God's will, the work of the kingdom takes priority over our convenience and self-interest. And when you are secured in the love of your Father in heaven, you can bear up with all the setbacks, the criticisms, uh, the opposition that you will find in doing God's work. And now he's heavily involved with the effort to put in place plans to build two new hostel blocks, one for boys and one for girls, on the church grounds to greatly expand the work and its impact on the future of the Orang Asli children. This is what it means to be immersed in God's work and calling for us. Now, each of us will have callings in different areas, whether in the family, in the neighborhood, or at the workplace. The Lord sends out His workers into all of these different harvest fields. But in the harvest field where the Lord sends us, we have to be immersed. We have to be committed in God's calling and will for us to complete the work that the Lord has entrusted to us to live as witnesses of Christ. Now, mind you, this does not mean that all of us are given a full-time ministry role. Most of us will have employment with companies or self-employed in a certain way, but all of us are called to be faithful witnesses for Christ and to show His love to those we encounter every day. The important step for us is to prayerfully reflect where the Lord has called us to work and serve, who He has brought into our lives, how He is preparing us to serve in a particular area or a particular ministry. And then we prayerfully depend on Him, ask for the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit and rest in the love and affirmation of our Father in heaven as we seek to be committed to what He has entrusted to us. Second, be identified with Christ. Our sense, of our sense of identity is a very powerful influence in our lives. Uh, humans have a very strong social need to be belonging to a particular group where one can find security, mutual help and encouragement, and even a sense of purpose or have a, a group-level value system to live by. Now, we see this not only in the cultural ethnic groups we are part of, but also in 
football fan clubs, companies, and organizations we belong to or identify with. Uh, two football fans meeting for the first time from different countries, different cultural backgrounds can immediately strike up a conversation and have a rapport because of their shared identity. Apple, the creator of iPhone and such, has a very distinctive identity and culture of what the company stands for. As most of you know, they have a very intense focus on quality and beauty of design, especially during the days of Steve Jobs. Even in the early days of the Mac computer in the 1980s, Steve Jobs would insist that the interior unseen part of the computer casing had to be elegant and beautiful. And so all the product designers and engineers who work at Apple will have their identity shaped and influenced by the culture and drive of the company for design and quality excellence. Their identity at Apple determines their work attitude and approach to coming up with products and services. Now, in the account of Jesus' baptism, Luke interestingly inserts the genealogy or the human ancestry of Jesus as part of his narrative. For Luke, the genealogy of Jesus shows, clearly shows the faithfulness of God to preserve a people who will know him and serve him, going back not only to Abraham, but right up to Adam, the first human. For Luke then, Jesus identifies himself as part of God's people, a people God calls and shapes right from the start of the creation story. The human identity of Jesus did not just spring up from a vacuum, but that it came as a dramatic fulfillment of God's plan to call, create, and preserve a people who will know Him and worship Him throughout human history as a witness to other peoples around them. And so Jesus did not just come for the people of Israel, he came so that God's plan to create a single people of God consisting of all people groups will be fulfilled. As Christians, we are part of this identity of God's people now centered upon the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is, we are part of God's purpose to create humans in His image right from the beginning with Adam. A chosen people that God preserved through the ages despite of sin and now has finally come to rich fulfillment in the person of God's Son. When we believe in Jesus, we become part of God's chosen people to live under God's calling and grace to serve in His kingdom. And our, our identity must be defined, rooted and shaped in the Lord Jesus Christ, since we belong to Him. Our hearts, our mindsets, our attitudes, our outlook and behavior must be transformed by, by our identity in Jesus Christ. At the same time, we have to be aware that there are a lot of competing identities that either lure us or pressure us or traumatize us that we have to leave behind. These are either a result of our sinful habits or traumatic experiences in the past or current pressures to conform to the expectations of society or the workplace. 
As Paul says in Romans 12 verse 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. These competing identities contain a lot of false narratives about God and about ourselves. These falsehoods that tell us that God doesn't and couldn't love us or forgive us, that we're never going to be good enough, that we have to perform or act in a certain way to gain love and acceptance, or that we can continue to live in a certain way that will eventually cause hurt to ourselves and those around us. If our identities are shaped by these falsehoods or by things of the past, we will be crippled spiritually, emotionally, and mentally. But our identity in Christ reminds us that we are part of a long line of chosen people loved and called by God. It reminds us that if we are in Christ, we are a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. It reminds us that God knows us better than we know ourselves. And that through the life of Jesus Christ, God chose to love us, to forgive us, to give us a new hope and future. This is God's will for us, and we can trust in God that He who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it. We serve a master who says to us, Come to me, all who are weary and heavily burdened. Whether it's the burden of the past, or falsehoods, or wearisome expectations, and I will give you rest. Rest from guilt, burnt out faith, anger, and disappointments. Jesus says, take my yoke, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The yoke of the past, the yoke of unforgiveness, the yoke of bitterness, they will weigh us down. But the yoke of Christ gives us new life, a new purpose, and a new future. This is the new life sustained by prayer, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and secured by the unfailing love of God the Father. You have to remember this. Huh? God the Father has given Jesus the highest power over heaven and earth, over every other power and authority. The past is no longer able to hold us back. The present is no longer able to pull us down. And the future is no longer able to make us afraid when you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And because we have this new identity in Jesus, the Spirit-filled Messiah, we can live a life that is holy to God and filled with goodness and love to reach out to others and bless them, even through the hard times and the challenging circumstances of life. 
Third and lastly, be prepared to be led by the Holy Spirit. There's a tagline of an insurance company in America that goes like this, you, you can't predict, you can prepare. That's important to know because it's next to impossible to predict the future with any degree of accuracy. But it is possible to prepare oneself to deal with uncertainty or the future. Now, the Bible does tell us the shape of the future to come, that Christ will come again, that his kingdom will be fully established, that there will be a final great judgment on wickedness and evil and the glory of the new heavens and the new earth. And at various times and on occasion, the Holy Spirit will give the church a word of insight or prophetic knowledge of a certain situation so that we can be prepared for what God is going to do or how He's going to work. But by and large, it's obvious that we do not know the exact circumstances or details of what will happen in our lives. This is where we don't get bogged down or over-anxious in trying to control or determine the exact details of what is to come. That's impossible, of course. Instead, we allow God to work in us to prepare us to be faithful witnesses of the gospel and to be strong in our faith no matter what happens to us in the present or in the future. And like Jesus at his baptism and throughout his ministry, God prepares us by the gift of prayer, the work of the Holy Spirit, and the assurance of his love for us. For our part, one aspect of being prepared for God's work and to be strengthened in our faith is to think in terms of process before worrying about goals. Stock, uh, Scott Adams, the creator of the Dilbert comic strip, emphasizes this as one key component of what he has learned from life. For him, if you set a goal, you will spend every moment until you reach that goal, if you reach it at all, feeling as if you were short of your goal. So in fact, he says, goal-oriented people exist in a state of nearly continuous failure that they hope will be temporary because you set a goal, you will always be behind that goal. Now, of course, this is not always true. We don't have to agree completely with him. But the key point is to have a good process or discipline in place instead of just putting unrealistic goals for ourselves and others. Look, for example, if you want to lose weight, try not to set a goal of, you know, I want to lose 15 kgs in three months. Uh, it's going to discourage you and make you feel miserable by the second day. Um, instead, put, a, put in place a process of activities and choices that make you healthier. For example, look out for healthier meal recipes, make a conscious decision not to go near fast food restaurants or the junk food section of the supermarkets. If you have a simple process of eating a little healthier every day and gradually avoiding bad food choices, overall weight and health will improve over time. Uh, somebody in church told me I've been gaining weight, so I should take my own advice. <laughs> now, in terms of our life of faith, sp spiritual process or discipline is also important in terms of cultivating a prayer life, of walking in step with the Holy Spirit and dwelling in God's love. 
the Holy Spirit can and does lead us through daily spiritual disciplines of worship, uh, prayer, scripture, reflection, fasting, and so on to deepen our faith experience with God. And having a process is important for spiritual disciplines. For example, if you set a goal that you must pray continuously for two hours a day, uh, for most of us, I think it's fair to say that we will fail even before we even try. But if we start with believing that every moment spent with God is worth it, even if it's three minutes, if we believe that we can pray even in distracted, distracting situations, even when we are distracted, is worth it because God's attention on us is never distracted. We may be distracted by God's attention on us is never distracted. If we start with this belief, then we are encouraged to have a process in place that gives us or create quiet opportunities to spend time in prayer with God throughout the day and to keep in prayer even if there are some ongoing distractions. For example, a, a quiet moment in the office before starting work, taking three minutes time out in the midst of a hectic schedule or in a stressful situation to come before God, praying through the traffic jams or while waiting for your kids' tuition to finish. The result of this process or spiritual rhythm of prayer is that we will likely find that gradually we would have spent more and more time in prayer throughout the day and under, and under various circumstances instead of just setting ourselves unrealistic goals in our prayer life. And of course, we can use this same approach in other aspects of our Christian life, whether it's reading scripture, quiet reflection, and active serving in God's kingdom. You take evangelism, for instance. Many of us have a hard time thinking of how we can actually tell people about Christ or how we can find opportunities to tell people of Christ. And if we set unrealistic goals in this aspect, it may not be very fruitful as well. Instead, we pray for a process that makes us available and ready to share about what God has done in our lives. For example, some may involve themselves in visiting the sick in hospital or helping those in need where there are opportunities to tell others about how God has worked in their lives. Some take opportunities like family gatherings to sincerely try to build relationships with relatives. For example, during Chinese New Year or other functions. The key is we position ourselves to build relationships, sincerely care for others and impact their lives so that God can use our testimony and sharing of the gospel to convict their hearts. And so we have a process in place to avail ourselves to the Holy Spirit's leading in various situations and to make use of the opportunities that present themselves to tell others about Christ and pray for them. For this coming Chinese New Year, the Membership and Evangelism Committee has prepared special angpaos, red packets for us to use and share with non-believing relatives and friends. It contains a simple but thought-provoking message by linking the Chinese character for fortune to the Genesis story. 
So this is a great example of using every opportunity to share the good news. So don't give that impulse to other Christian friends. I mean, give it to your non-believing friends or loved ones. Now, spiritual processes or disciplines are important in being prepared for God's work for us because the Holy Spirit will lead us through wilderness testing of our faith. Wilderness testing occurs when our faith is tested and deepened, when our motives are examined and refined, and when our lives are sharpened for the work of the gospel. If we read beyond today's scripture in Luke, we find that immediately after his baptism, Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness where he was tested by the devil. And we're going to look at that in next week's sermon. But now it's worth remembering that God can prepare us to take on the challenges of the future by allowing us to go through the wilderness testing today. The Holy Spirit doesn't abandon us in the wilderness. Rather, the Holy Spirit empowers us and teaches us through the wilderness experience so that our faith and experience of God's presence and purpose for our lives grows to a new level of depth. For Jesus, the wilderness experience clarified for him the anointing he received at his baptism. It clarified the manner which he was to carry out his mission as the anointed Son of God. And for us who are in Christ, we have been given the presence of the Holy Spirit. We have been given gifts and anointing of the Spirit to be faithful to God. And then the Holy Spirit leads us through seasons of wilderness testing to clarify for us how and in what manner we are to serve the Lord and use the gifts and blessings He has prepared for us. This is a necessary step for our spiritual growth and maturity. And so it is therefore not surprising if God gives you an opportunity to lead a ministry, you will encounter setbacks and disappointments in a way that clarifies for you what type of leader God is pleased with. If He grows you in areas of sharing the gospel with others, you may encounter rejection and frustrations in order for you to deepen your dependence on Him. God's intention through the trials and testing is always to grow us and prepare us for a new level of faith and experience of Him in our lives. And so in conclusion, today's scripture on the baptism of Christ invites us to be fully immersed in God's will and calling for our lives. It shows us what it means to be identified with Christ and His people. It calls us to be prepared to be led by the Holy Spirit to deepen our faith and experience with God. In response, I'd like to uh, pray for all of us here. And I want to just invite us, if you have never come to Christ, you have never known what it means to be immersed in God's will and calling for your life, I just want to ask you in the quietness of this time, to consider coming before the Lord. The word of the Lord says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved, and we believe this to be true. For some of us, we are Christians, but we have not gone to the depths of what it means to live according to God's will and calling. I also want to invite you to open up your hearts before the Lord right now.
Father, we pray that by your grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that those who are opening their lives right now to receive the Lord Jesus Christ, that you place your comfort, your conviction, your grace upon their lives, that they know that they will be saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. And pray for the rest of us, Lord, even as we open up our lives for you to work, for you to bring us to a deeper level of immersion in your will and calling. Father, we pray that you grant us grace to follow your way. I'd like to invite us now also to renew our identity in Christ. Some of us here may be still struggling with competing identities that pressure us to act or conform to a certain way. For some of us, our identity is held hostage to the expectations and approval of others. For others, it may be our past that shapes our identity. I'd like to invite us now to surrender and give up whatever identity that is not of God and to be renewed in the life and identity that God gives you in Christ. Father, many of us here are crippled inside because of our past and current identities that make us do things and act in ways that will hurt us and those around us, that make us crippled in our spiritual growth and emotional health. Lord, we look to you, Redeemer, Healer, Saviour. You are the one who wipes away our past, frees us from our shame and sin, and renews your love over us. Lord, we open our lives for your healing touch, and we accept by faith the new life the new future, the new hope we now have in Christ Jesus. We pray that you will remind us that the past identities, the current pressures of life have no longer any power or authority in our lives, even as we surrender to the power and authority of Christ. And finally, I pray that we will open our hearts now for the coming of the Holy Spirit. We want to pray for a greater measure of the leading of the Spirit in our lives. Gracious God, teach us what it means to live in the power of your Spirit. Father, we know that this is not something we can do for ourselves is not something we can earn for ourselves. But Lord, by faith, we look to you. And we ask of you, gracious God, this day, fill us with the Holy Spirit. Pour out the living waters of the Spirit until our lives overflow with your goodness and love. And so, Lord, we pray, Father, accept the prayers of your people and take up our burdens even as we rest in the Lord Jesus Christ.
In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.